Hi, welcome to Trinity Grace Church Park Slope. We're so pleased to have you with us today. I'm Armstead Booker, Director of Communications, and today's teaching text comes from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We're reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 18. Now hear these words. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ, so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen since what, we, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, everyone. You'll notice that the books on the top shelf are practicing appropriate social distancing uh, for books. The uh, scale is a little bit different than for humans. Um, these books here are all going to be uh, sick, unfortunately. I uh, hope you're doing okay. I hope that whether you're gathering uh, on a Zoom call or a FaceTime or something like that or you're at, at your apartment right now that you're doing well, that, you're, um, that you have the peace of God uh, in, in your heart this morning. I've been very encouraged by uh, so many things over the last couple of days, even in the midst of immense challenges. And one of those is uh, the series of daily reflections that are uh, we're making as a church community, uh, voices from all across our church, uh, making these sort of daily uh, reminders of our hope in Christ. And so I really invite you to check those out on tgcparkslope.com slash daily uh, to get those daily reflections. Um, what a weird time. What a, what a strange moment we are in. It, I've heard so many people say over the last couple of days, it feels like we're in a movie or something. Uh, events like these, uh, we, when we're in the middle of them, often have uh, the effect 
of causing us to reflect on our experience uh, in some strange ways. When I think about some of the conversations and concerns uh, that I was in the middle of just a week or two ago, it seems like they happened so long ago. It seems like, gosh, that was a different life almost. And some of those concerns have lost all their weight or they've totally changed shape or uh, they just don't matter in the same way that they, that they did. Um, uh, our, our whole uh, world has just sort of been shaken up a little bit. And uh, where I was, you know, uh, in the middle of some of these concerns. Now I'm training to be a professional Monopoly player, uh, which takes a lot of my time. And I just want to say to you guys that uh, don't be one of these people that's just the glamour property, folks. I want to tell you, you can build an empire in Monopoly from St. Charles Place just as easily as you can from Park Place. And uh, another thing I want to ask you not to forget is that Boardwalk, the, the most desired property on the board, that's where they film Jersey Shore. So just... Just keep that in mind if you happen to miss the luxury tax space and you land on that bad boy. Uh, this is just free advice for you uh, as, you're, uh, as you're getting through. Get yourself some railroads and just get started. Let me tell you, you never know when the flights are going to be grounded. So uh, <laughs> it, it is strange how uh, intense events like the ones we're in or massive change, they come into our life. Uh, we kind of get a wake up. Uh, we, we become aware of some of the things that might not be as necessary as we, we thought they were. Our priorities get a jolt. Um, and as you read this text, you read this letter to the, to the Corinthians, uh, you get a sense that uh, Paul knows what that sensation is like. Uh, that that he, when he reflects on his own life, there's even a few passages in his letters where you get a sense that he knew what an everything changed uh, moment was like, uh, that he runs down some of the situations or even his first encounters with God. And it's like everything after that was different than before that. And um, you remember, we, we know a lot about Paul's life. He was uh, a man who was an up-and-coming political star uh, in his early years. He was a trained rabbi, uh, but he wasn't just a rising star in, in his Jewish faith. He was also a Roman citizen, which gave him certain political clout and extended his freedom as a citizen in that time. Uh, he was zealous for the purity of Judaism, uh, so much so that he was determined to root out this new movement of followers of Jesus. And he was the one who stood there at the, at the moment of our first martyr of, of followers of Jesus, Stephen. It says they laid their cloaks at Saul of Tarsus' feet. And so uh, this was Paul's life before, but then uh, we have this encounter, this account given to us in Acts 9 of his first uh, interaction with Jesus. It says, Paul had this life-changing encounter with the person of Jesus. And the language that he uses in 2 Corinthians here, this is not just uh, you know, a good writer choosing a metaphor at random. This is his story. The light had shined on him, quite literally, on the road to Damascus. It had shined in his heart. And so when he writes, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This, this, was, this was his Damascus Road experience. This was his everything changed after that moment. But he had had many more. It wasn't just his Damascus Road experience. Paul has now been jailed. He's been shipwrecked. He, he's been snake bitten. He's been flogged. He's been run out of cities. Uh, he's experienced so, so many uh, different things, many of them immensely painful. And we should not let ourselves think about uh, the Apostle Paul or any of the, the sort of the figures that we meet on the pages of the New Testament as some kind of superheroes that are immune to the pain and the difficulties that we experience on an everyday basis. 
And I think 2 Corinthians is helpful in that regard. It's, it's maybe Paul's most personal letter. He shares the pain of his own heart seems to be bubbling up to the surface at several moments uh, in this letter. And in the first chapter, he begins by short sharing a little update of where he is at. And it's, it's a grim picture in some senses. It's a difficult moment. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that we will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Just think about those words that the apostle is mentioning to find his reality in, in, the, in the preceding moments to writing this letter. Troubles, great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, despaired of life itself, sentenced to death. This is not a superhero trekking through life, you know, never getting a scratch. This is, uh, this is not some mahogany fit you know, framed inspiration picture in your doctor's office that has an eagle soaring over, you know, the mountains at sunset and it says your your attitude determines your altitude. This is someone who has experienced real life pain, troubles, great pressure, uh, uh, far beyond our ability to endure, despaired of life itself. It was like a death sentence. This is a man who's truly relying on Christ and the body of Christ in the midst of real life. And what is he saying to us? Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. He said it just before the passage that we read this morning as our teaching text. He's he's saying it to us again. And I just want you to see a couple of things that are right here that I think are tremendous resources when it comes to not losing heart. And Paul gives them to us in this, this couple of verses. The first of these is to grasp the story that we are in. Uh, grasp where we are in the story. Paul says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The imagery here that he's using is saying something absolutely staggering. As a, as a devoted student of the Torah, Paul has soaked in its words all of his life. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he's describing what it means for someone to come to faith in Jesus, for someone to experience the salvation that Christ offers. But Paul's giving it to us like it's a retelling of the creation story. He borrows the exact language from Genesis in order to to get our hearts moving in the direction. So so if you go back in Torah, you go back to the, the beginning when the world was formless and void. The Spirit was hovering over the wilds and the waste places. God spoke. And when he spoke, he said, let there be light, and there was light. He, he spoke to spark creation. The, 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 the word uh, b- began, this initiated this glory coming into existence. Creation revealed the nature, the glory, the power of Yahweh. You see it in the intricacy. You see it in the teeming abundance. You see it in the beauty. You see it in the life pouring through. The word speaks life. And Paul brings our minds back to that creation story and then fast forwards to the moment when anyone turns to Christ, that same new creation, that same creation story is happening in a new way. It's a new creation story. A whole new epoch of existence begins. When our hearts were formless and void, when we were spiritually blind, not seeing what made for real life, God made his light, God made his light shine in our hearts. Just before the passage that we read this morning, Paul has said something kind of chilling 
uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. So he's saying we're not just up against sort of a a, a neutral palette of each person's uh, reason and experience, and you might choose God or you might not choose God. He's saying there's tremendous spiritual resistance at work in the world that literally blinds people from the opportunity to comprehend God's love from them, that keeps them. There There are physical forces and emotional forces and spiritual forces at work in the world. People can be blinded. The spiritual experience. People can be cut off from sensing God's love for them. People can miss for so many different reasons that God is for them, so much so that God is willing to go to death and back to make them family. But even so, uh, when anyone experiences the salvation that Jesus brings, it is evidence that we are in a whole new chapter. We are in a whole new part of the story. We are in new creation. New creation has begun. Jesus is the firstborn of the new world, and he's making a family. And, and the, the, the heart of this text is saying, eventually, this new creation is going to become the full reality. His kingdom is going to come on earth as it is in heaven. This is our hope. <laughs> As we're gathering in in homes or on Zoom calls, this is what we're clinging to. Uh, This is the guarantee, uh, and it's happening still all around us. Every time someone comes alive in Christ, another person wakes up into this new creation. We were in in a staff meeting this week, and uh, it may be the last time we'll be in the same room, even though we were socially distanced for quite a while. And Patrick was sharing us uh, a story, even though he was on on Zoom. Uh, It's... uh, yeah, such an interesting time. He was sharing a story, a woman who's been in our church for a while, who's been considering the claims of Christianity, who's been sort of, uh, you know, toying with the idea of Jesus, ex- exploring what it would mean for her, that she finally, just, just in the past couple of days, made the decision to trust Christ and wants to be baptized. And Paul is saying that is an evidence that the new creation has begun. That is an evidence that the story of new creation is continuing to go on. Every time someone turns to Christ, it's a miracle of new creation. And to be in that era is one of the primary reasons that we do not lose heart. No matter what is going on in our world, we are still in the era of new creation that is eventually going to become our full reality. So that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, not just grasping where we are in the story, but seeing how we actually live in the story. God has obviously not made us invincible, uh, not made us immune to trouble. Um, We don't have the ability to simply skate through the world unharmed. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The old world is not yielding to new creation easily. It's not even in the exact same way the formlessness and void gave gave way to God's creative force in in Genesis. It says, says in fact, this, uh, verse 7, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. 
I heard this week uh, a, a quick story about a man, uh, Sir Oliver Franks, who was the British ambassador to the U.S. Uh, in the years immediately after World War II. Uh, Tom Wright was, was recounting this story in one of his writings. And, and uh, this was when the Cold War had begun uh, and the North American Treaty uh, Organization, NATO, was, was set up. And so uh, Sir Oliver Franks was ambassador. He was in, ch- in touch often on a daily basis with the president on the U.S. side uh, and the prime minister in, in Britain. And he was the confidant of some of the most powerful people in the world. And, the, and his position meant that he frequently needed to get urgent, important, top secret messages to and from Washington and London. And it was far too risky to do the, you know, to share that information on telephone calls. Many of the lines would have most certainly been tapped. And so there was a diplomatic bag which went uh, back and forth each day, and it took confidential documents uh, by air across the the Atlantic. And this was the method that he used uh, for his most important and confidential messages. That was uh, the sort of method they had worked out, this very secure bag, you know, under lockdown, going across uh, the, the ocean in a plane. But Oliver Frank said this, when something was really confidential, I mean utterly top secret, desperately urgent, he wouldn't trust it to the bag, which all the other communications, even though they were tremendously important, went in. He would put it in an ordinary envelope and send it through the regular mail because it was sort of like a double bluff. No one was going to be watching the ordinary regular mail in that way. And Paul is telling us in this uh, story, it just came to my mind as I was, I, was, I was hearing that account. Paul is telling us that the most important message in the world has been put in some rather ordinary envelopes. Uh, and, and the hope is that because of that, no one will miss that the highest glory we have is not these out, our, our bodies, although they're tremendously important, of course. It's what has been put inside us. The treasure is that our hearts have been renewed and come alive in union with Christ into this new creation. Christ in us is the hope of glory, the promise of the new world, the first taste that we get of resurrection life. And resurrection life is not some disembodied existence in the, in the clouds. It's not an eternal choir practice. We're going to have more substantial bodies than we do now in the new heavens and the new earth. Don't, don't miss this. We're not talking about some platonic dualism where we're going to go off to a disembodied state. We're going to have bodies. Absolutely. Jesus, after his resurrection, he made a fish breakfast on the beach for his friends. But for now, right now, the treasure that we have, even of being a new creation, we are going around in clay pots. Uh, And all manner of things may happen to our clay pots. Um, uh, Of course, those things matter, but they are not. And this is so important for our hope. They are not the final reality for us. So though we're traveling in these jars of clay, these clay pots, um, and anything might happen to our clay pots. In fact, uh, this passage seems to be indicating that it is our, in our weakness, in our trouble, in our difficulty, it, 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 those are moments when, when the treasure uh, becomes most clear. It becomes clear that the treasure is not the envelope. The treasure is what inside. Listen to the language. Listen to what we endure. Pressed on every side, not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. 
If you move through this list, you're going to see resistance on every level of life. This, this was something, I've read this passage many times, and this sort of hit me for the first time. You, you, you see physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual resistance in this list across all the areas of our life. We are physically squeezed. We're being pressed on every side. Maybe you're feeling this if you live in an apartment with six people and there's one bathroom. Maybe you're feeling squeezed. Maybe it seems like someone's always standing in front of the... Uh, uh, of the um, of the fridge. Maybe that's how it feels to you. I don't know what it feels like. I'm just, just sharing a little bit from my life this week. Uh, so we're physically sweet, squeezed. We're perplexed. This is mental and emotional challenges to our mind. How, how do I make sense of what's going on? How do I not feel distressed? How do I not feel anxious? How do I not feel beaten down? We're persecuted, right? There's a social element to this resistance, right? There's some of you, right? It's, it's challenging to feel open and honest about the source of your hope with people who don't think and believe the same way a, 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 as you do. And then there's this idea of, of struck down. And I might have initially just thought of that right in the terms of like, you know, we're pressed on every side, we're struck down. It's just a different way of saying the same thing. But this word struck down, this exact phrase is used later in Revelation to talk about spiritual beings being put out of God's presence. And the reality is there's a spiritual element that's implied here. And so the resistance that these clay pots that we are in endure is physical, it is mental and emotional, it is spiritual resistance. And on every single level, there's an opportunity in our trouble and our weakness and our difficulty for God's glory to be revealed, for the ultimate treasure that is our hope in Christ to show up. And, and I'm not saying that in a trite way, it is... Uh, remarkably challenging to live through weeks like we've just lived through, to not know exactly how, how long into the future we're going to be uh, facing these challenges. The, the, the resistance might feel like it is coming in on you at every single level. But the treasure of our lives is that we are united to Christ and we are united to one another. And those two things are immune to these challenges. They are immune to this virus. <laughs> they will not go away. As we said last week, our judgment day is in the past. It, it happened at the cross. It happened to Christ, and we are His. He will not abandon us. We are part of the new creation. Christ has shared the hardship of our life. He knows what it is to be physically squeezed, to be perplexed, to sweat drops of blood in Gethsemane, to be persecuted, driven out of towns, to be struck down but not destroyed. And He promises us, as He's endured that, a share in His resurrection. So we can and will endure the hardships of this life and then share in resurrection. This is exactly what Paul says as he goes on. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us uh, with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. We are those who are united to Christ. We are confident in our share in his resurrection. One thing I don't want you to miss here is a little reference. Um, it says, it is written, and then it says, I believe, therefore I have spoken. This little quote is from Psalm 116. And when you see something like this, when you see a little line quoted in the New Testament, it's usually an invitation to go and remember the full context that whatever that quote was, what it was given in. It's like if I say to you, may the force be with you, you know that's not just a standalone statement. That, that sort of comes with the whole Star Wars story. There's a whole sort of like enveloping context that that goes in. If, if I say life is like a box of chocolates, uh, you know, your mind goes to Forrest Gump and that entire story and him sitting on that bench and, and telling 
telling that story. And God bless Tom Hanks wherever he is. May he get well soon. But when Paul says, I believe, therefore I have spoken, he's recalling the full situation of Psalm 116. And, and this is someone who is trusting in Yahweh's covenant love while their life is falling apart. I encourage you, go back and read Psalm 116. The person is in deep trouble, but they are not casting off their hope. In fact, their trouble is beating down their door and they're preaching to themselves not to lose hope in Yahweh, but to remain faithful. And so in the middle comes that phrase, I believe and therefore I spoke. Basically like trouble was hitting me on every side and yet I climbed. I cl- I has clinged to the, the, the faithfulness of Yahweh. And out of that, I took the first action, which was to speak my hope. Even though it didn't seem to make sense, I spoke my hope and I lived into a new reality, the covenant faithfulness of God. I believed and therefore I have spoken. Paul's doing the exact same thing in this passage. He himself shared in the beginning of this letter that he was despairing of life, beaten down, utterly perplexed, spiritual resistance, and he's clinging to the hope of resurrection. He's not just sharing it with others, he's holding on to it himself. And he ends this this passage, we're going to end our reflection today, on these two places he invites us to take deliberate hope. This is how the passage we, we read this morning ends. Therefore, we do not lose hope, do not lose heart, Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The two places of deliberate hope that Paul directs us to in this passage is inward renewal and eternal perspective. He's saying that, um, that in these moments of hardship, perplexed and beaten down and persecuted and in and, and, and despair, that these are the moments where we, we, we cling to our hope in Christ and God can do a deep work of inward renewal in us. It's certainly one thing to thank God for your blessings when everything is going wonderfully. That is an important thing to realize that we don't have anything, like even our ability to make money, our creativity, our industry, our, our, our good things that we have in life. Even if we've worked hard for them, we have the ability to work hard for them because of a gift to us of life and ability and all that from, from God. So it's something important to thank God, to bless God when everything's going wonderfully. That certainly takes a measure of faith. But when you're pressed on every side, when you're perplexed, when you're persecuted, when you're struck down, when you trust Christ and you don't have anything else, that's a whole other story. There's a powerful picture of inward renewal going on there. Some of my uh, most inspiring stories I've ever read are cross-cultural missionaries. I I read a bunch of them when I first came to New York City one because I had a lot of time I was uh, still trying to figure out exactly what my work was going to be but I read the book To the Golden Shore the story of Adoniram Judson and his wife and sharing the gospel in Burma I read the story of Jim Elliot his 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 journal Shadow of the Almighty um, as I've been taking people through Alpha the last couple of years, I've become aware of the story of Jackie Pullinger and, and her work in Hong Kong. And these people who, who say, I'm going to leave my world and I'm going to go to a different world. I'm compelled by the love of Jesus. And they go to these places and so often there's absolute stripping down of everything that in their old world would have seemed essential. 
And yet when they get to the place where they're trusting Christ because they actually don't have anything else, some of the most mind-blowing, amazing things come pouring out of them, staggering amounts of love, unbelievable phrases of encouragement, unbelievable things of of hope that literally generations of believers have clinged to the words of of these servants that, that came right out of the inward renewal that was taking place when they were pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. We can also trust that as we rely on Christ, you, you and I, we are going to be being renewed day by day. I wanna, I wanna just put this to you. What if you were more mature, more joyful, more stable, more loving, and more patient when we got to the end of this trial, whenever it's going to be? What, what if this was the time of the deepest spiritual growth in your life? What if you gave more love away in this next month than you did all of last year? What would that look like? What if the fruit of the Spirit can even grow in the midst of quarantine? What if there are tremendous new opportunities for you to be Christ to your neighbor, even if it's not in a way you would have ever expected a month ago, a year ago, or two years ago? This this perplexing, pressing, persecuting, struggling issue that we're in the middle of may represent an opportunity for our renewal to to continue to grow in a substantial way. Let's cooperate with that. Let's cooperate with our own renewal, even in the midst of these difficulties. And the last thing is let's keep an eternal perspective. And I I tell you, this is a a challenge personally. Sometimes in the American church, things are going so well for us materially that we don't need to bother with eternity. We don't need to bother with, with the, the hope of a, of a great by and by. And, and if the generations, some of the generations before us made the mistake of putting too much focus on eternity, we may have made an overcorrection of t- putting too much focus on just right now. And it's times like that that we're in the middle of in this moment where the mask gets ripped off of the world a little bit, where we start to see the fabric of, of our society shows how thin it can be in places. Um, we begin to see some of the vanity in our normal pursuits. We're, we're invited again in those moments to long for the long arc of God's vision for the world. And he says, uh, Teresa of Avila says that our life on, on earth in this format is going to be uh, in comparison to eternity like one night in a bad hotel. <laughs> Just think about that. Over your entire life, one night in a bad hotel, that's what our 70 or 80 or 90 or however many years we get on this earth is going to be like in light of eternity. The perspective is really important to shift. God is patient. God is not in a rush. God is not in distress that his promises are not going to be fulfilled. As a matter of fact, Paul taps into the wisdom of heaven when he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I went back this this week and I read one of my favorite essays or sermons uh, from C.S. Lewis uh, called The Weight of Glory. And it is actually, I think, one of the most top things uh, ever written. It is certainly in in my top five. The Weight of Glory, I can't commend it to you enough. And Lewis, in this essay or sermon, he shares how he came to the place of letting his hope for the future truly be shaped 
by this vision of eternity, this vision of glory that God gives us in the scripture. And he admits how challenging it was and how some of the imagery for heaven initially appalled him. But he comes to these tremendous and deeply encouraging conclusions. And I'm not going to spoil it all. I want you to read it. Um, But he goes into the sort of the the five different images that the scripture gives us for what our eternity with with God is going to be like. And he says, we will be like, uh, we will be with Christ. That's the number one and everything else falls under that. We will be with Christ. We'll know as we are known. This dim glass that we look through now is going to be gone and we're going to experience full embrace. We'll be with Christ. We will be like Christ. That's the second thing. We will share in glory. And the essay goes on to explain exactly what that is about. And there will be feasting and joy. That There's a huge party being thrown and a, a beautiful spread put out. And we are there with people from every tribe and tongue and nation feasting in joy in the kingdom. And then we're going to have responsibilities. We're going to have some share, and it's, it's vague exactly how it's going to work, but some rule, some share of rule with God. Just like in the garden, there was dominion given uh, to, to our first ancestors to walk in the image of God. Uh, it, it seems that the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, we will be with Christ. We will be like Christ. We will share in glory. There will be feasting and joy, and we will have responsibilities and a share in ruling with God. Our hope does not blush at all at calling attention to those things. Lewis says it's hard to explain. It's hard to get our minds all the way there. In fact, all the the layered imagery is evidence to us that it's something beyond just mere description. He says the variation of the promises does not mean that anything other than God will be our ultimate bliss. But because God is more than a person, unless we should imagine the joy of his presence too exclusively in terms of our present poor experience of personal love, with all its narrowness and strain and monotony, a dozen changing images correcting and relieving each other are supplied. So what he's saying is, as soon as you think it's just this one thing, another image comes in to broaden and expand the picture. And that's why some of the imagery you know, for the, the, the new world that we're headed into is, is vague, it's challenging to interpret, but it's pointing us to something that transcends language to describe. One of my favorite passages from the whole essay is this beautiful description of how our longing is going to be fulfilled. And we're going to basically close with this. He says, apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fantasy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and also the healing of that old ache. Amen. Church, you are part of this new creation. You are united to Jesus, and so you are part of those who have joined the firstborn from among the dead. But you carry your treasure in a clay pot. As we've been so clearly reminded, we are vulnerable. We are the pressed but not crushed the perplexed but not in despair, the persecuted but not abandoned, the struck down but never destroyed. Our ultimate hope, our ultimate hope is not vulnerable. You have eternity with God and with one another. And let's think of the weight of that glory as Lewis and the Apostle Paul encourage us to think even more and more than we do about ourselves, the weight of the glory of our neighbor, to consider that They are an eternal being. You've never interacted with a mere mortal. We all have an eternal future. Let us be those who pray and live so that God's kingdom may come on earth, even as it is in heaven, even in quarantined apartments. 
uh, that it would come there as it is in heaven. Let me pray for us that you would not lose heart in these days. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the richness of your word. I thank you for the church scattered across this city, gathering in homes and on, online and, and listening to these words together. I pray that wherever these are being heard, that your Holy Spirit would just fill uh, your, your, your sons and daughters. Fill us with your love. Fill us with words of encouragement for one another. Fill us with insight and love for one another. Fill us with generosity. generosity. Help us to be mo- those who move out uh, towards one another, even as we have to stay at a distance, that we would be finding creative ways to let love shine through, to let love break through. Uh, we, we just hold on to this hope that the new creation has begun. And even though we have this treasure in jars of clay, uh, we, we, we know that it is shining through, God. We pray in Jesus' name you would help us to, to both participate and cooperate in our inward renewal and to share in your eternal perspective. Fill us, God. Let us be the hands and feet of Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.